0: Happy are those who mourn. You are the salt and light. Be happy in Jesus. Your tears tell your stories. When you look at your life and you look at those moments when there was hurt and sorrow, sadness and tears, those often are key elements in shaping our life. How we emerge from that. Our tears tell our stories. For some of you, there are the Tears of coming home from school and feeling made fun of, picked on, bullied, rejected. Somewhere along the line, there may be tears over a broken heart. Maybe you've had the, the tears of, of walking through personal tragedy. Maybe you've experienced the tears of burying someone you love. Tears tell our story as we think about life and tears, most of the time we think about that in terms of just the natural sorrow of life, that we go through hurt and heartache and difficulty and challenge in life because we live in a fallen world that has lots of hurts in it. But when Jesus talks about mourning in a sense of tears, I think there's something far greater than just the earthly aspect of facing challenges and hard times. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look in verse number 4 today. Remember, as Jesus is walking through these B attitudes, he says in Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then in verse number 4, Matthew 5, he says, blessed are those who mourn For they shall be comforted. And with that, let's pray together. And God, speak to us through the truth of your word today and challenge us. And Lord, may we mourn over the things that bring hurt to you. In your name, amen. As we think about the natural sorrows of life, we've all experienced those. We have all had tears over relationships or difficulties or trials or grieving. We've all faced those. But Jesus is going a little bit deeper as we think about Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 4, where he says, blessed are those who mourn. He's talking about an internal sadness or agony in our life that really is going to pertain more to our spiritual life than just our earthly and natural sorrows. As we look at the life of Jesus himself, we find that Jesus had this burden for others in their spiritual life. So that in Luke chapter 19 and verse number 41, it tells us that that Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. Now, why did he mourn and weep over that city of Jerusalem? Because he saw the lostness. He saw the rejection of him as Savior. He was burdened for them. This is the same thing that we find about Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Jeremiah was broken for the people of Israel who were getting carried off now to Babylon. And it's very interesting in Jeremiah chapter 8 in verse number 20, where he says that the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. He says, I'm broken by the brokenness of my dear people. I mourn, horror has taken hold of me. And then in verse chapter 9 and verse number 1, he said, if my head were a a flowing spring, my eyes a fountain of tears, it would weep day and night over the slain of my dear people. Sometimes we weep over others with a burden for them. But when Jesus begins his ministry in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 4, he's not talking about the natural sorrows of life, and he's not pertaining to the spiritual grieving and heaviness that we may have for others. Instead, he's looking right at people in their eyes and says, blessed are those who have a sense of personal spiritual agony and sadness in their life because of the conviction of sin. And when they mourn over that, then they will find comfort. The picture is, is when we mourn over our spiritual condition, God provides spiritual comfort. That's the picture. If we could just summarize what he's saying. When we think of this, if we would mourn over our spiritual condition, then God promises that he will provide spiritual comfort. Now, what is he doing? As we look through the Beatitudes, we're going to find Jesus is kind of stair-stepping what is going on and what needs to happen in our own personal spiritual life. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. When we recognize that we are spiritually broke, that we cannot, by our own credentials or our own credit, earn heaven, earn favor with God, but we recognize that, man, my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. That I am a sinner separated from God. When I recognize I'm poor in spirit. And I come to this place where I need him. When I perceive my spiritual poverty. Then God provides his spiritual provision. And now he says, and when we mourn over our spiritual condition. God promises spiritual comfort. And so as we look, Jesus is really sharing a message of salvation as he begins the Beatitudes. It's a message that says you can't get to heaven on your own. You need to recognize you're poor in spirit. And when you're poor in spirit and recognize that and you have a sense of mourning over that, God brings comfort. That's the picture. So as we think about the call to mourning, we recognize in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 4, he makes it real clear. Blessed, blessed, happy are those who mourn. There is the call to mourning. There's this sense of having an inner, inner uh, internal agony and sadness. And he's talking and probing right into the depths of our own heart and talking about what's going on within us. When we have this internal agony, this brokenness, and we recognize that over our own sin, then we have the key to finding comfort. See, mourning recognizes our spiritual poverty. That's, that's the verse, number one, uh, verse number three and four. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourning recognizes our spiritual poverty and says, look, I can't do this on our own. I can't do this on my own. Remember in Luke 18, nine, where the Pharisee, and, and uh, the tax collector, Jesus gives a story. They both go up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee lo- says, Lord, thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not greedy. I, I'm not an adulterer. I, uh, I, I am especially not like this tax collector over here. And that guy thought by his credentials of being a Pharisee and not doing some things that he was going to make it. Then he says, this, and These are the things that I'm doing. I'm fasting. Twice a week, I'm praying, I'm, I, I'm, I'm tithing, so I'm just not doing those things like those other people, but look at what I'm doing. And he's trusting his own credits and credentials, and yet the, the tax collector recognizes, man, oh God, have mercy, oh Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, and he beats his chest. He has come to recognize his spiritual poverty, and then he mourns over that. And as he mourns over that, the Lord says, and because you come with that attitude, you're going to be justified. When we try to self-righteously justify ourselves before God and earn our way to heaven on our own, the Bible says, uh-uh, that's just not the way it's going to work. Instead, we have to recognize our spiritual poverty. Blessed are those who mourn. They recognize their spiritual poverty, and not only do they recognize, but then they respond to that with godly sorrow. So mourning responds then when I recognize my spiritual poverty, I I respond and I come to this place of godly sorrow. And Second Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 10 tells us that godly sorrow leads to repentance. Godly sorrow. Did you know that there's a difference though between godly sorrow and just regret? There's a difference between a sense of God working in my life and me just being sorry that I got caught. You remember Judas in Matthew chapter twenty-seven, and he has this change of heart after Jesus is put on the cross, and he takes the thirty pieces of silver and he goes back to the to the the priests and and he basically says, "Look, I don't want this money," and he throws it to them. And he has regret for what he has done to Jesus. And yet, in his regret and in his personal remorse, there is no sense of spiritual mourning or godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Instead, he goes out and in his regret, he hangs himself. We find Peter also in Matthew chapter 26, where he denies the Lord three times. In the very last verse of Matthew 26, verse number 75, it tells us that he went out and he wept bitterly. But what was the difference? That godly sorrow of Peter brought him to a place of repentance. And we remember in John chapter 21, as Jesus comes to to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Or Simon, do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And he says, Lord, you know I love you. And three times he asked the question, do you love me? And the Lord gives this restoration. Three times you denied. Three times you're affirming your love. Now go, feed my lambs, get involved in ministry, do something. There is a difference between remorse And biblical repentance. There is a difference between regret and being sorry that we're caught and this sense of internal agony because we know we're not right with the Lord. We see the call to mourning, but then let's think about the characteristics. What are the characteristics of this mourning? And let's think about how how this this all this process works as we think about mourning. First off, spiritual mourning involves this sense of internal agony. This internal sense that, man, I'm just not right with God. Something isn't right. Well, this internal agony or this sense of internal agony is genuinely spiritual conviction. That's what it is. It's spiritual conviction. It's the Holy Spirit working in us. So that over in John chapter 16 and verse number 8, this agony being caused by God-given conviction. In John 16, 8, you know what Jesus says? That the Holy Spirit is coming to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. What's that very first thing that he says? He says that the Holy Spirit is coming to convict the world of sin. Now, most of the time in our world, we don't even like to talk about sin too much. I've shared before, but years ago, I was witnessing to uh, my dentist slash orthodontist who was working. And I talked to him and tried to share Jesus with him and, and told him how we needed a Savior because we were all sinners. And he, he really kind of pushed back on that and said, hey, you know, I'm not really a sinner. Now, we all might have some slight aberrations, but we're not really sinners. Can I tell you? You have more than a slight aberration. He had way more than a slight aberration. The the issue, though, was when spiritual agony, this agony uh, was a response because of the Holy Spirit bringing this conviction in his life. He did not want to respond to that. So, this spiritual mourning involves internal agony. This agony comes as a result of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's caused by the Holy Spirit. Then the next thing we find is that this conviction then is remedied by confession and repentance. This this conviction is remedied by confession and repentance. But how do people want to treat sin in the world in which we live today? Well, some will just cast this off and say, well, you know, I I just don't really believe in in a personal God. Now, there might be a higher power out there, or, or maybe even not. But I, I don't want to deal with this sense of conviction, and I definitely don't want to come to this place of confession and repentance. Instead, I'll just ignore or deny God altogether. Or I can just ignore my own sin altogether. I'll just, you know, I'll just act like it's okay. Or maybe I can just rationalize it. Oh, come on, it's not that bad. I mean, I've not killed anybody. I've not robbed any banks. Well, that might be true. Maybe you didn't kill anybody. But the truth is, is that we're all responsible for the death of Jesus. Christ died for our sin. We're all responsible before God. As The picture of a chain with ten links on it. These ten links represent each of the ten commandments. See, it doesn't make any difference which command you break. If you're holding on to that chain over a a canyon and holding on for dear life, it doesn't make any difference which which, which part of the chain breaks. If it was commandment number one or number five or number ten. And the Bible says we've all, we've all sinned. But there are some who just want to ignore it or rationalize it or, or, or try to do good things because of it and try to even it out. And, and yet we, we, we never find anywhere. Matter of fact, we find the exact opposite, that we can't get to heaven by good works. But then there are some who just try to hide it. There's a great verse over in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 28 and verse number 13. If you've ever tried to hide your sin from God... If even today, you know, there are things that are going on in your life and you don't want your kids to know or grandkids to know or your neighbors to know. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says this, the one who conceals his sins will not prosper. You hide your sin, you try to conceal it, you're not going to prosper. You may fool people. You may have material prosperity. There are many that do that and have that. But you in your whole spiritual life and realm and walk with the Lord, you are not going to prosper. But he goes on to say, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. So as we try to hide it, try to cover it, try to conceal it, He says, I know, (laughs) you're not getting away with anything. But when you confess that and you renounce that, then there's hope again. There's the comfort that comes after we mourn. But there are some who just, like my dentist, want to deny that they have an issue with sin altogether. In the epistles of John, we, we hear and read of, of those who who really came to a place and, and just came out and said, and John says in First 1 John 1, 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. There, can you believe there's actually people who would say, hey, we we don't have an issue with sin. We have no sin. And then he goes down in verse number 10 and says this, If we say we have not sinned, we make him, the Lord, a liar and his word is not in us. And yet, right in the middle of denying that we have sinned and saying we have never sinned is 1 John 1, 9, where it says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That our forgiveness comes from a God who will forgive us for all. So confession and repentance ultimately leads us to forgiveness. And that's the hope that we have. That's where 1 John 1, 8, where he say, hey, I've never sinned. I, 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 I'm, I'm not a sinner, or I've never sinned, and right in the middle, John says, look, but if you'll confess, don't try to hide it, don't you try to deny it, instead, confess it, and as you confess it, you're going to find that there is a God who is faithful, A God who is faithful to forgive and a God who is just, who has already placed the sin of our life on Jesus and he's faced our punishment for us. He's faithful and he's just and he will forgive us all of our sin and cleanse us from unrighteousness. So, we see the call and we see the characteristics But then what is the consequence when it comes down to it? When we think about this in in, in Matthew 5, it tells us, blessed are those who mourn. We come to this place of repentance in our life. And when we come, what does he say? When When we come and we call on the Lord with a sense of internal agony and mourning and conviction over our sin, the Bible shows us that they will be comforted. Some of you aren't experiencing the comfort of the Lord because you haven't lived the Last part, the first part of the verse. Blessed are those who mourn. You've not come to that place where you have recognized the conviction of the Lord and responded to it. Now, you may be in church this morning, you may put a smile on your face, you may go to Bible study afterwards, you may sing in the choir, play in the orchestra, you may do all of these things and not be comforted. But the Lord says here, Blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. First off, They're going to be comforted from above. Why are they going to be... And how are they going to be comforted from above? Because we know in 1 John 1, 9, the Lord is faithful and just. He'll forgive us so that we can have comfort. I do not have to worry about my relationship with God. Therefore, being justified by faith... I have peace with God. I have peace with God because I have trusted Jesus alone. I don't have to worry about going out on Highway 70 and having a car accident. I mean, I don't want that to ever happen, and I'd like to live at least until I see, you know, two or three generations behind me. But but if that doesn't happen, and I go today, I will tell you, I have comfort from above. I'm His. There's nothing that can separate me from the love of God in Christ. I have come to that place of conviction and responded with a sense of, of mourning and repentance and confession before the Lord. So I'm comforted from above, but not only am I comforted from above, I'm comforted throughout life. I'm comforted in life. Romans 8, 1 says that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I may blow it from time to time, but this is what I know. That 1 John 1, 9 is true. Romans 8, 1 is true. If I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me of sin. And I know that my condemnation has already been taken care of. My punishment for sin, even the sins I'm yet to commit, have been placed on Jesus. Now, recognize that God will give us comfort throughout life, but that doesn't mean that there won't be consequences for our sin. Ask Moses if there's consequences for sin. He didn't get to go into the promised land. Ask David if there's consequences for sin. The sword didn't leave his own family. Ask Jonah if there's consequences for sin. I don't know about you, I've stayed in some bad motels before, but I don't think I want to stay in the belly of a fish for three days. There's consequences, but there's that comfort that if I've come to him in salvation, I have this peace of knowing I'm his. Then there's comfort for eternity. To know again that nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ. That my sin has already been taken care of. And that one day the Lord is going to bring me to a place where there's no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. No more parting. And when I get there, what a day. What a day that will be. Jesus in John 14 would say, let not your heart be troubled to his disciples. Don't be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And you're going to be with me again one day. That's the assurance I have. Not just now, but for eternity. Because of the Lord. I want to ask you today, do you know that you know the Lord? Many of you would say, hey, I I know I've come to that place. Well, let me give you one other tidbit just to kind of wrap this whole thing up, and we're done. The word mourn here is in a present, ongoing tense, which means that I recognize in front of a holy God that I still am to come to that daily place of repentance and be in a sense of inner spiritual agony because of my present sin. The Lord wants me to be holy. And for those of you who are believers today, if you think that you can get away with sin because you prayed a prayer somewhere or you were baptized at some place, I want you to understand, this is present active. We still need to be people who recognize what sin cost our Lord. So be holy, just as your Father has called you to be holy. And with that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and for your truth. And God, uh, I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus today, that they would come to this place and, and maybe they feel that inner agony in their heart and life and they don't even know what to do right now. God, I pray that they would open their heart to you, that they would seek the counsel, that they would go to your word, that they would seek someone out, that they would come to know Jesus. And Lord, for those of us who are believers, we recognize that there is an ongoing sense of mourning. For times that I don't do what you want me to do, or I do what you don't want me to do. Lord, make us more like Jesus. Rub off the rough edges. Bring conviction of sin. Until that day, you call us home. And we see you as you are, and we're like you. Jesus' name.